Welcome to Life Itself, a podcast by Faith House Manhattan. This week, we'll be speaking to Chris Stedman. Frank Fredericks, and I'm here with my co-host Samir Samanovich. Hi, Frank. And this is Life Itself, and we're really excited today because we have our first guest, Chris Stedman, who uh, is going to tell us a little bit about himself now and get us rolling. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the executive director of the Yale Humanist Community and author of Faithiest, How an Atheist Found Common Ground with the Religious, and super excited about the conversation we're going to have this morning. Ah, it's great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you. So if you look at a uh, uh, humanist community, um, what would you say um, in terms of a system of meaning and also its history? What would be like, let's say, three, three most potent ideas that hold a humanist story and humanist community together? It's mm, a great question. And I think, you know, it's an interesting question to ask at this moment in the sort of development of humanism as an institution in the United States, because historically speaking, we're still a very young community, right? So in my view, the sort of three, these three things, I think the first thing that I would say is that, um, and this is what I think differentiates humanism in the United States from, say, humanism in Europe, um, I think that one sort of core aspect of humanism is its non-theism, right? So one of the ideas that I think um, humanism has to offer the public conversation around meaning and purpose is that, um, you know, if for those of us who think that it's unlikely that there are divine or supernatural forces, it sort of um, encourages us to and and sort of creates a sense of urgency that we need to do something in the here and now mm -hmm. um, to address the problems that we see around us. So if I and and I'll put this in a sort of really concrete sense. So if I'm walking down the street and I see someone hungry, um, I can't just sort of say to myself, "Well, um, there's a a sort of in in my you know meaning system that everything sort of balances out in the end. The universe." Um, bends the arc of the universe bends towards justice on its own and so you know I, I can sort of hope that that person is going to find um, relief and assistance at some point and I don't have any sort of obligation to take care of it myself because it's going to work itself out in the end mm -hmm. I'm being mm -hmm. reductive obviously but mm -hmm. um, but as a humanist and as a, a sort of non-theistic humanist I um, you know I don't think that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, right? I think if it's going to bend, humans have to bend it. And so it puts the um, responsibility on human beings to care for one another. Mm -hmm. And this is why I, you know, I would say that humanism um, engenders and, and requires a sense of responsibility to other people um, mm -hmm. that I can't just sort of say that, um, you know, if I see a problem in the world, you know, I can just sort of hope it's going to work itself out. Um, I have to, you know, if I want that problem to be resolved, I have to sort of do something about mm -hmm. it or I have mm -hmm. to do what I can. So, so for me, for example, as a Christian, uh, when I think about, you know, what and I there's such a thing as holy envy towards other people's tradition. Uh, what I feel as you're saying all of this, I feel like what I can take with me and 
uh, and learn from you and fi- try to find uh, sources in my tradition that will, you know, uh, reveal that to me as a reaction to, to, to a value that you have been custodian of as a humanist uh, for the rest of us is this sense of urgency and a sense of agency. Yeah, that's a, you've, that's a beautiful way to articulate it. And, you know, and actually it sort of tees up the second thing that I wanted to offer really nicely, I think, mm-hmm. which is that um, one thing that I think a, a sort of piece of beauty that humanism has to offer um, that is both like a, a challenge and an opportunity, I think, for humanists is that there are really, or should there really should be, um, no boundaries to humanism, right? So humanism has not inherited a sort of particular history um, mm-hmm. that is, you know, uh, constructed with doctrines and with mm-hmm. holy texts. And, um, you know, there's a challenge to that, right? Because within a religious tradition, you have a kind of playing field of texts, ideas, stories that you can draw, mm-hmm. draw upon, which is, I think those are all really helpful tools. Mm-hmm. That's something humanism doesn't have. But I think the opportunity of that is that there really is no sort of um there's no boundaries there's no Mm -hmm. borders on what humanists can engage with and who humanists can learn from so as a humanist for me everyone is a you know a possible teacher to me Mm -hmm. Um, and that includes religious people religious figures um, and religious you know texts and ideas but i think that humanism can inspire a kind of broadening or i would hope it can inspire a kind of broadening um of our sense of what's authoritative beyond just Mm -hmm. what's been historically considered authoritative within our particular communities Mm -hmm. and and you know again engender a sense that um everyone and every community has something to teach Mm -hmm. us and that's been very true for me as a humanist could you almost say um, that humanism is the process and not the content? Yeah. Well, to me, humanism is, and maybe that's because... This is also very reductionist, naturally. No, of <laughs> course. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, humanism is a lens, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that is something that a lot of people would say about their religious worldview as well. But to me, humanism is a sort of method in a way of, um, you know, through which I try to evaluate what a text, an individual, um, a set of ideas has to offer me and teach me. And, um, and what I've found is if I approach life with the idea that everyone and everything has something to teach me and that there continues to be many things that I do not yet know or understand, and, and that to me is a sort of center central idea in humanism is that but when i do that when i approach life in that way i find that the boundaries around who or what can be authoritative for me are um non-existent and and part of you know what makes me think about this is something we're doing in our our community right now at yale so we're doing um uh we have a new discussion group facilitated by uh, an author named tom crottenmaker uh, he wrote a book. His most recent book was The Evangelicals You Don't Know. He identifies himself as a secular progressive, and, and his last book was on um, people that he finds inspiring in the evangelical community and um, how they sort of don't map onto some of the stereotypes that a lot of people have about evangelicals. 
And now he's facilitating this new discussion for a group for us called um, Who to Follow. And it's about um, exploring who it is that we as humanists follow, the sort of teachers, scientists, poets, um, academics, and even religious you know, figures and thinkers who um, inspire us, whose um, ideas we want to try to engage with and live out, and whose behavior we want to emulate. And this is an idea that I think um, historically a lot of humanists have been really hesitant to engage with this idea that we follow people or that there are people that we try to sort of model our lives after. And, um, but that's something that I think a lot of religious communities have done really well. I mean, you hear within Christianity, people constantly talking about using Jesus as, um, someone to, um, sort of model your behavior after someone to aspire to be like, Mm -hmm. and, um, what we're trying to do and, and, the sort of origin of this discussion group is he's exploring the idea of what it would look like to be a secular Jesus follower, to be someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, but who is inspired Mm -hmm. by Jesus and who wants Mm -hmm. to live their life after the example Mm -hmm. Jesus set. And we're broadening it beyond that to have a more sort of open conversation Mm -hmm. among our community about who are the many different people Mm -hmm. that we follow. Um, And that can include religious figures. And what you're saying is you can make choice about that. You can make choice, whom are you learning from? Because we're all learning all the time. And if uh, when we say we're not learning, we are actually perhaps following somebody who wants to be a maverick and is telling us we shouldn't learn from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as human Very community... postmodern. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't believe in postmodern. Well, that's the most postmodern thing you could do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, being outside of the box is a box on its own. Mm-hmm. And uh, Or, right, or saying that you don't, that you know rejecting the box outright is still like being in a box in a way um Mm -hmm. you know and i think that the best thing that we can do as human beings whether we're humanists or not is to recognize the fact that you know we we are drawn to um you know inspirational thinkers and Mm -hmm. examples and you see this phenomenon among humanists and Mm -hmm. atheists who you know um, if I tweet anything about Sam Harris, I've got suddenly in my mentions on Twitter all these Sam Harris fans. Treason, heresy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe Apostasy. not. Maybe not using those exact words, but you know, it's it's the same phenomenon. You encounter it everywhere, and it's better to just be honest about that fact that uh-huh. we all, you know, are drawn to learning from people who inspire us, and we should be honest about that. But mm-hmm. we should also recognize that we can find those individuals in all communities and in all walks of life. And Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be restricted to um, our own community, Mm -hmm. right? I don't Mm -hmm. wanna just be inspired by humanists and humanism and humanist thinkers. And it would be silly for me to suggest that that's true because, you know, I spent many of my formative years in Christian spaces. And so, you know, I mean, there's a reason I have a Flannery O'Connor tattoo. There's a reason Flannery Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite writers and her, you know, and her work is deeply Christian. she and her work didn't stop sort of being true for me or, or or articulating things that I think are true and meaningful and helpful. That didn't just like turn off when I was like when I realized I wasn't a Christian and and then realized I was a humanist, right? Mm-hmm. It still spoke to me in in perhaps a slightly different way, but still 
in a, a sort of deep and true and meaningful way, mm -hmm. even when I realized I was not a Christian any longer. I, I, I love the way you, you include uh, all human experience, and in some way it's very holistic, what you're saying, uh, because just because you don't, ex how would I say, you do not exclude religion, but you say religion is also human experience. Yes. Yeah. And therefore it deserves to be studied and understood uh, the same way as art, just because art involves imagination, you don't want to exclude it because you want to be all reason. Because we are not all reason. No. We are emotion, we are instinct, we are intuition, and all of that thing. So, so what what uh, draws me to what you're saying, that you have created a space for me mm. as a religious person in your world. Sure. In which I will not just serve your story as as you identify yourself opposing to me, but you are including me in your story and letting me be myself, which I think is very powerful. Mm, thank uh, you. Yeah, and I, you know, it's I really identified with um, a lot of what you were saying just there because uh, so another we have a, another discussion group as a part of our community called the Practical Humanism Discussion Group, and the idea behind that is that so often conversations in humanist spaces, and I know this is not exclusive to humanism, but this I find to be very true in a lot of humanist spaces. So often these conversations are incredibly abstract and theoretical, and they have very little to do with people's day-to-day -day experiences of life, right? They have very little to, they have very little impact on how a person deals with getting out of bed in the morning when they just feel like they can't, or, you know, what they do when they see somebody um, <laughs> walking their dog and not picking up after their dog and that makes mm -hmm. them incredibly angry and they don't know mm -hmm. what they should do. In that, right? It's very divorced from lived experience and it's mm -hmm. very much this sort of theoretical abstract mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. So we started this discussion group because we wanted to talk about humanism in a much more practical sense. And our most recent conversation was on... Um, this idea that there is this kind of split between reason and emotion, right? That the head mm -hmm. and the heart are separate and that um, sort of reason is the, you know, is, is this sort of thing that we should all aspire to and that, um, and that in an ideal world we would all be these sort of perfectly rational beings and that, you know, that's, that's the sort of ideal. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea I find... Um, very commonly expressed among humanists and I think it's actually an, a, a sort of inherently problematic idea because mm -hmm. right we aren't just our reason we aren't mm -hmm. just our um, ability to um, sort of strive to be rational mm -hmm. creatures we're also our emotion and and our feelings and these things aren't separate right and even mm -hmm. setting them up as a kind of binary or a dichotomy is is um, I think untrue and you know our emotions and our feelings are information right and they should be evaluated and taken into consideration when we're making a decision just as anything any other mm -hmm. sort of piece of information mm -hmm. would be and that's something i think that um you know humanists can learn from religious communities mm -hmm. is how to sincerely engage with um the sort of emotional side of, mm -hmm. of life and not just aspire for this sort of utopian mm -hmm. you know purely rational ideal so and, and, go ahead well, I just wanted to come back to this idea of community. Uh, and one thing that's been really fascinating to me is uh, somebody who uh, grew up primarily evangelical and has and sort of now identifies very strongly with my tradition, but is not actively engaging in a traditional congregation. 
Uh, it's this idea of Marshall McLuhan, the sociological, the medium is the message, right? And the way that we understand community and ideas is all formed by the, the method we're using. And the metaphor I like to use a lot is, you know, back in the 1920s, people would go to a movie theater, sit down for four hours, be entertained, be very non-participatory in physical sort of way, um, get up and leave. And that mirrored basically church, you know, the post-industrial uh, uh, revolution and sort of the, some of the changes now where, you know, maybe you, you dress up, you go to this place, you're participating a little, but it's mostly somebody talking at you. We've gone from Netflix, we, we, sorry, we've gone from the, the old theater to Netflix and the way that we consume media, but the way we engage in relig religion in sort of an organized way has not really changed at all in this 80-year, 90-year period. Um, and now what's been most fascinating is, is I've got to go and, and sort of speak and, and work with some uh, intentionally secular communities. Mm. And I, I always, th my question has always been, what's Christianity going to look like post-congregation, since that's the way it feels like it's going? But now I'm seeing humanism adopt many of the same attributes of a congregation that I thought was on its way out of use. And so I'm really fascinated, like while I'm thinking over here, What's what's humanist congregation or community look like twenty years from now? Is it going to be church-ish, you know, church-like, or is it is it heading in this direction towards this, you know, humanist Netflix religious, not religious, you know, secular experience? Like, what the hell is out there? Like, it's something that's uh, I don't have the answers. I'd love to hear what's sure. on your mind as somebody who does pastoral care in, in this space. Sure. Well, maybe that's the sort of third piece uh, to bring it back to the the three um you can you have four pieces <laughs> <laughs> well let's start with three and see yeah. if we can get to four but maybe that's the third piece um that humanism has to offer uh the sort of public conversation around these things right now is a reminder in a, in a way of the value of congregation of, of congregational life now i'm i'm very much a believer that you know different things are going to work for different people right and so i'm not because there have been a lot of conversations uh, in the sort of humanist community and humanist movement about, you know, humanist congregation building and, um, you know, is this something we should all embrace or not? And I'm, you know, I very much think that if that model doesn't work for you, find a model that works for you. Um, and so certainly there are going to be people who are not drawn to the congregational model and who don't find it useful. And that's great. You know, I'm sure they will find something else that works for them. But but I think that humanists are sort of rediscovering the way in which a congregation can be um, a really valuable tool for connecting you with other people and, and sort of taking you out of your day-to-day -day life and putting you in this space where your, in, your intention is to reflect and to be challenged and to be inspired. Um, and it is, I mean, it's, you know... There, you can sort of joke about people getting all dressed up and going, but, but there is, I think, something about um, sort of preparing yourself to be in a different kind of space than what you're in, you know, in your day-to-day -day life. And that's one thing I've really enjoyed about our Sunday gatherings at the Yale Humanist Community is it is not like my other Sundays where I sort of, you know, get a slower start to the day. I sit around and drink coffee and... I don't read the paper, but I scroll through Twitter, I guess. But, you know. Maybe do a podcast. Maybe do a podcast. Um, <laughs> Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning. But, you know, there's something about stepping into this space that is um, that has, uh, you know, as its goal, 
um, creating a sense of connection and challenge and inspiration and wonder that I think is really helpful. And maybe humanism's approach to congregational life and congregation building will, you know, help address some of what I think are perhaps the inherent issues or, or flaws or shortcomings within the congregational model, which is this sense that you sit, you come, you sit alongside a bunch of people, you listen, um, and then you leave, and it's this sort of passive experience. Um, and maybe, and I don't think that this is something that just humanists can do, but maybe a reimagining or reapproach to congregational life, whether it's by humanists or whether it's by particular Christian communities, can um, sort of address some of those issues. So for example, at our gatherings, and, and we're not the only community that does this, but at our Humanist Haven gatherings, that's our Sunday gathering, um, we do something after the, there's a talk every time, and then afterwards we do something called the moment of connection, where a member of the community comes up, shares um, a, a kind of reflection that's related to the subject of the talk, and then poses a question to the community and, and invites people to turn to someone near them or a couple of people near them and have a conversation about that question. And before we do that, I always introduce the moment of connection. And what I say is, you know, we want, our goal here is to build a community, right? We want this to feel like a community and function like a community. And so it's not a lecture. We do sponsor lectures on campus and, you know, there's a value in that. But at a lecture, you often come, sit down, sit alongside people you don't know, maybe exchange a few pleasantries, and then go your separate ways, but you don't really build relationships or have an opportunity to reflect with them on what you're listening to and learning about. And with the moment of connection, we try to create an opportunity for people to connect with one another. And honestly, I find that the moment of connection is um, often the sort of part of the gathering that people enjoy mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that in the world today, um, in a world where we have so many things constantly vying for our attention through social media, where we're, where we're expected to always be available, where someone should be able to reach us at any time of the day, where if someone sends an email and you don't reply within 30 minutes, they assume that, you know, something bad has happened. Um, there is... I think a value in stepping outside of that and entering into this space for a short amount of time and really just being present and reflecting on what is most important to you. And that's something that I think humanists are starting to see there's a real value in and, that, and it's something that humanism can take from a lot of religious communities mm -hmm. and sort of adapt. And, you know, I'm not crazy about some of the versions of this that are basically just a cut and paste, you know, Protestant worship service where they just strip out the theological language and put in humanist language. Um, I'm much mm. more interested in determining what's a kind of authentic, organic expression mm. of humanism mm -hmm. in this kind of a setting. But I think it's clear that the success and the growth of these humanist congregations is pointing to the fact that this is something that a lot of people are looking for and that they get something really valuable from. Yeah. So 20 years from now, I can't tell you what humanist congregations are going to look like, but I can I can tell you with a great deal of confidence that I, I feel pretty strongly that there will be many more of them than there are now. Mm -hmm. I hope it's clear to anyone listening um, who has found this conversation to be of some value that so much of that, uh, so much of those sort of three pieces, um, for me 
and I guess this sort of grows out of the second um, mm -hmm. point that I offered, but so much of that grows out of what I have learned from religious people and communities doing these things really well. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see these things as the exclusive domain of humanism mm -hmm. um, or of humanists, and I don't mm -hmm. see them as being something that only humanists can offer or can teach people. These are things that I think um, humanists like myself have learned based on the you know work and um and and efforts that have been made by a lot of religious people and communities mm -hmm. as well so mm -hmm. i hope i hope there's this sense you know moving forward with this conversation um and beyond this conversation this morning that this is a reciprocal thing right that this is something that humanists have things to offer and teach and humanists have things to learn and mm -hmm. um you know and that and and you know it goes beyond this sense of interfaith conversation where we're here to sort of learn about different communities and challenge perhaps some of the um, you know stigma mm -hmm. or stereotypes mm -hmm. and, and it goes beyond that to just relating to one another as human beings in all mm -hmm. of our complexity in our recognition that no one person um, you know is is either defined by their community or their affiliation mm -hmm. or um, you know, can, nor can they be a sort of representative for it. Um, but in fact, we're all just human beings mm -hmm. and that we have a lot to want to learn from one another as human beings. So, yeah, sure. So the, the final question for you is, uh, you know, one thing that sort of defines a worldview for people many times beyond sort of the intellectual structures is, you know, a sense of wonder, um, you know, like whether it's uh, as a young kid thinking, oh, you know, having the conversation of predestination versus free will or some of these things that sort of blow your mind or I, I totally nerded out for about an hour and a half last week on the Fermi paradox. It just like really was like, whoa. Uh, so for you, whether it's, you know, within the traditional bounds of how you define your humanism or just in life itself, what is giving you a sense of wonder more than anything else? Uh, I mean, just in the past couple months. It's mm. a great question. Um, <laughs> maybe this sounds really silly, but I imagine that it's, it's a good like, answer. <laughs> but I imagine it's something maybe a lot of people who will listen to this can relate to. Um, but for me, something that's given me a lot of um, wonder, uh, that's kind of engendered this sense of awe and wonder in uh, a lot in the last few months has been um, my dog <laughs> and spending time with my dog. So I, I adopted a, a rescue dog um, last summer and um you know, I grew up with a dog, and I've always loved dogs. Um, and I, you know, I think that they're very um, adorable and you know fun to be around. But um, being now an adult and adopting a dog and sort of being responsible for this dog's well-being um, has mm -hmm. really been um, an amazing process because, you know. It, I I imagine it's on a very very small scale, not at all the same, but on a very small scale akin to what my sister feels my uh, in regards to her three children um, having something someone who relies on you who is counting on you to take their needs and their welfare into consideration in the decisions that you make and who you know is really dependent on on you in some um, meaningful way that to me has been really um, inspiring because it's it's sort of made me realize that I was up for the challenge, right? That I could rise to the occasion and make space in my life in what feels like a really busy life, um, to make space for 
this uh, living creature's needs and um, you know and, and I'll just so I'll take I take her on several walks every day I take her to the dog park and just watching the kind of excitement um, that she brings to things that I think are incredibly mundane like just going on a walk and like smelling things and seeing other dogs and just seeing this like joy expressed through her this really simple and beautiful joy it just snaps me out of so much of the like bs that i might be dealing with in any given moment so i can have the most like frustrating day the most challenging day and i come home and i take her on a walk and all of it just melts away and it just makes me realize that so many of the things that frustrate me or that you know i can get so fixated on or so focused on are really sort of trivial um and and so not important and that and that I allow them, I give them too much of my emotional energy and time. And um, yeah, I mean, I just am amazed by this this living being that continues to teach me so much. And it's, and it's not something I would have taken seriously even, you know, a year ago. I would have thought, oh, a dog, what can a dog teach me besides, you know, how to be cute? <laughs> but she yeah. just continues to... Um, expand my horizons and and remind me that you know and this is something I was saying earlier in our conversation that everyone and everything has something to teach me and that it I do myself a disservice when I sort of put boundaries around who can teach me things and that includes beyond just human beings um, because I've recognized that this this living creature has so much to teach me about Mm -hmm. joy and about um, mm-hmm. and about relying on others and allowing yourself to be um, cared for and loved. Mm-hmm. So. Sort of grounds you. Um, Chris, if people are interested to explore more uh, about your work and uh, maybe uh, visit a humanist community or seek to start one, mm. uh, what would be maybe one or two um, websites they can go to and, and start their search? Sure. Well, I um, speak pretty regularly, actually, with people who are trying to get humanist communities started, and I'm always happy to have that conversation and offer whatever limited advice that I can, and and also just to ask questions and find out sort of what their interests are, and, and so I'm I'm always very happy to have that conversation. Um, but there's actually a number of organizations that are working on um, developing resources for people doing this work. And I would definitely suggest people reach out to the American Humanist Association and the Humanist Institute um, as great resources for building humanist community. And um, more specifically, if you're interested in learning more about what our community is doing, uh, feel free to visit Yale Humanists with an S on the end dot com. If you leave that S off, you'll go to a very different website. We're working on that. Um, and um, I would ask. And, and please know that um, our, our community and our programs are not limited to people at Yale. Um, anyone in the broader community is more than welcome. And um, we'd love to see anyone there. Also, you have a book. Also, I have a book, yes. Um, and, and you also are on the Twitters. And uh, I'm on the Twitter. Yeah, so the book, um, if, if you're interested in learning more about my book, Faithiest, please visit faithiestbook.com. That's F-A-I-T-H-E-I-S-T. Sometimes you get the I-E-S-T. Um, and Twitter is Chris D. Stedman, C-H-R-I-S-D-S-T-E-D-M-A-N. D. 
D as in dog. D I, uh, as in dog. I have a tendency to write emails to Chris as Christ. Uh, I don't know if it's a Freudian thing. I don't know how it ends up happening, but it's been a funny thing that's happened a few times. Uh, yes, Chris, no T. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for coming in and, and doing this. We really appreciate it. It's been a fabulous conversation. And uh, I just look forward to seeing uh, next time you come by and, and having a, another conversation down the road. And, and uh, this is uh, you're, you're the person. This is the time. And uh, the time is now. Yeah.